keep recording. <clears throat> okay, so we're now recording. Great. So oh, what are we going to do we're first? Only eight minutes late this time. Yeah. Oh, well, it's better than last time. It's improving. Hello, welcome to the Tech Tea Podcast. Oh, wait, should we recording this? <laughs> James. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Tech Tea Podcast. This is episode four. My name is Ben Grubb, and with me today we have James Alexander. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm well. You <laughs> seem to be hungry. Uh, I'm eating. So we got to start up deliver our lunch, except it delivered at three and a half hours late. So good delivery. <laughs> uh, which startup was this? I presume so. At the moment in Australia, the we have food delivery. Startup. We have that I know of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deliveroo, mm-hmm. Uber Eats, mm-hmm. Foodora, mm-hmm. and apparently there's one more. There's also a wealth of other ones. There's all. There's also a very interesting one. I believe that operates out of Melbourne here. That's very targeted at the Chinese community. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know the name of that one. And there's another one in Sydney launching too. We just met with some students that are launching one here. This one is from Sherpa. Sherpa. Yeah. And so... We've had, we've had it done before complain? and it was fine. Did you yeah, say? yeah, we complained, what but like, it was just, we just went, fell off the what, radar. What, what was the problem? Like, I don't know. It was very hard. I don't, I, maybe a lot, it like a lot printed of things. a receipt on the special machine that's dedicated to It was a cascading problems. Cascading <laughs> problems. But do they tell you like when the food is going to come and what was the it, was status it? of it is? You know, I got a message saying your food is on the way three and a half hours later, after they had delivered it. <laughs> that's generally a bad sign. Yeah, so it, yeah that's a bad sign. I think this is a bad sign. <laughs> was it delivered for... It was, it's uh, Guzman and Yeah, so, you, so we, got, we got Guzman food, but they go pick it up and then they deliver it. Okay, and by the way, everyone, we're back in the bunker. Uh, I'm up in Sydney again. So we that evens out my Sydney to Melbourne ratio in recording this podcast because the first two were in Melbourne in my unit and the second, or the next two, including this one, are in the bunker. In the bunker. And Hugh is... Hugh! Hugh Stevens is with us today as well. Hello, Hugh. Hello, everyone. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad. How's the weather in Sydney? It's beautiful in Melbourne today. <laughs> I know. I, w- I left at about midday, and as I was going to the airport, it was a stunning day, a very rare occasion uh, in Melbourne, a stunning day. And uh, I get to Sydney, and it's very windy, very, very windy. And uh, it, if the wind was not here, it would be a nice day. Apparently, Sunday is going to be beach weather, so I'm planning to go <laughs> I hope so. Long to the beach on Sunday. Uh, but yes, thank you, Hugh, for joining us. And also, we have another special guest. Seems to be a tradition now, uh, if you can call two episodes you can. a tradition. Big tradition. Yeah. Uh, we have Zach Altman. Is that how you pronounce your last name, by the way? Yeah. Okay, great. Hello, Zach. Hey, what's up? Hello. Uh, now, Zach is the co founder of a startup called Lounge Buddy. And not from YC. Not, not from, from YC. Not from Y Combinator. <laughs> uh, why, do, why is that a joke, by the way? Is that a joke? Oh, oh, Sam Altman. Sam oh, Altman. see, I get jokes. Sam Altman. I get yeah, jokes. Sam you're, runs. You're, are you really in touch with the startup community there? People are seeing the related. Just wait. What did you say here, sorry? I was going to say, Ben seems very in touch with the startup community there. Well, look, it took me like three seconds to do the recognition there. Uh, you I don't know to... Sam? <laughs> don't you just, follow him on Twitter? He has such great takes. No, I love I Sam. I did for a little while think that perhaps you were related to Sam. Um, but yeah, that's what everyone thinks. Oh, my yeah. God. Are you it is an unusual last name, like mine, Grub. Uh, Isn't that find, unusual? <laughs> you don't find like too many a, Grubs. It's like an old German name, I think. <laughs> So, uh, Zach is a co-founder. It is a, it is a German name, by the way. Co-founder of Lounge Buddy, uh, and we'll talk about that uh, as part of the third topic of today's show. Uh, but we should get into it, uh, into our first topic. And 
today's first topic uh, was one of Hugh's that he wanted to talk about in particular. So I'm going to lay it all on cue to uh, <laughs> tell us what we're going to be talking about. Great. What, what was the topic that we're meant to be talking about? <laughs> <laughs> the one you were saying something about. Oh, yes, about yes, 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 yes. Now I've got it. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, okay. so, so there's this big... You can and, edit that out. <laughs> there's this big and very fascinating shift, right? So... Traditionally, back in the early days of the web, everything was very text-based. You know, you, you, it all started with, you know, Usenet boards you would dial into and, you know, uh, news servers and everything else. And everything was very, very text-based. And then, obviously, we had the proliferation. We had ICQ and then we had MSN Messenger. And now, these days, we have WhatsApp and, you know, in, uh, I guess, in business sense, you know, we have Slack and all of the things that have come off that as well. Um and then at the same time, and you know, I, I guess the probably the the next big wave of text-based communication, these conversational platforms, uh, will be no doubt bots, um, and probably through platforms like Facebook Messenger and things like that, as everyone tries to get some stranglehold on this whole thing of you know text-based communication. But the interesting thing I think then is you know there's also this sort of second wave of uh, voice oriented things so you have siri and you have amazon echo obviously and everyone's kind of trying to get back into this and and, and for a little while it was really popular actually in the pc space i don't know if you guys remember dragon naturally speaking back in the days um it was probably what early mid 2000s that it was sort of quite a popular thing and it was looking like we were going to control computers with our voice and that was going to be the sort of the big thing of the future but then that never really happened and and instead this whole thing of msn messenger and everything else kind of took off so I guess the, the question is, like, what is the future of this, I guess, communication method? You know, are we looking in a situation where, you know, this kind of text-based communication that is great because you can scale it a lot more easily with bots and things like that compared to voice? Or, you know, are we looking at a situation where, you know, we are going to kill off the keyboard and we're going to move to, you know, we're going to interact with everything by voices? Even the iPhone obviously removes its headphone port um, somewhat frustratingly. And, you know, part of that probably is eventually you'll start talking to your Apple Watch or your Apple iPhone Watch. Didn't they just release Siri for Mac? They did, exactly. And that, that's part of uh, the iOS, uh, sorry, the um, Mac OS Sierra. Um, and so I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And so I guess I'm wondering what, what other people think as far as, you know, what is this big next wave and what does it look like? And are we just, you know, or are we just kind of treading water, I guess, until something like VR comes along and destroys everything? So my feeling is I've, I keep experimenting in this space. So when I'm up in Sydney uh, and I forget where things are, I open Google Maps and then I click the microphone button and I say the place that I want to go to. And I think over the last few years, it's gotten a lot better. I think it used to be really bad. Turn, can you put your phone on mute, James? <laughs> <laughs> Thank okay, you. Sorry. Uh, it's, it's gotten a lot better. Uh, and I think it's because it's... Well, it's... it's Turn, turn your computer off now, please. Can you, that's your, that's your I know, computer, I know, isn't it? I know, I know. Okay, yeah, have you yeah. stopped it? Have you turned it off? You, can you just send me another message to check if that's going <laughs> Is that Hugh sending no, it? No, 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 okay. no, no so, it's fine. Yeah, thank you. Fine, okay, it's all good now. It's all good. Um, so, and it tends to work a lot of the time when you're using... using stop making noises. <laughs> it tends to work a lot of the time now, um, except for the awkwardness. This is going to be the problem with, like, voice input, always. Like, people talking into their watches in public, there's a lot of background noise. There's, uh, you know, you have to kind of enunciate your words correctly still a lot of the time. And you look like an idiot. Like, let's not forget that. I, yeah, I mean, I used to... I remember we had an old Sony phone. It was a Sony Ericsson, and it had voice. It had one of the very first versions of voice. It didn't have the colour screen. And you'd press in the side button, and you could all you could do is just call 
or open up an app, I think it was, like a messaging app. So I'd be like, I'd show my friends and I'd be like, call mom. And then like sometimes it would do it. And then when it does it, people are like, whoa, it could do that. Or you do and call I thought mom it was so and then it cool. calls my aunt. Yeah, my aunt. <laughs> like, I thought it was so cool. And, and arguably this was, I don't know, a little while ago. I was pretty young. Younger than I am now, but you know, it was it was really interesting. How old are you, James? Uh, for too old, <laughs> too old <laughs> to right. say. Ancient. That's right. Um, so, where were you going with that story before I rudely interrupted you um, to find out your age? Well, no, I was just saying this. People have been trying to do this for a while, and um, and well, where do you think the question here is? Where do you think it's going? Will it be voice input, or will it be the Facebook Messenger bot thing, where like it's your personal assistant, you actually have to type and so that they get the right message. I think it'll be voice input. I think it'll be a combination. It'll be a combination, but I think it depends on the context. But generally, I think generally and by and large, it'll probably be some sort of some sort of anything that's easier. And voice is easier, assuming the the accuracy is higher. Hmm. And you got things like um, Echo, right? Amazon Echo. What do they call Echo? The Alexa. Alexa. Yeah. Alexa. So they got Alexa, right? And Alexa, they they purposely didn't put a screen on the device, so you couldn't revert to doing and for those that don't know what Alexa is can you give us a bit of a oh Alexa is 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 basic so Amazon came out of the blue with a um, device that you put in your home that you could order things off Amazon from Mm. this is separate than their April Fool's joke that turned into a product with a button yeah that's right the (laughs) April Fool's joke turned into a separate thing you could basically that that, the context of that is that you would um, press a button on your washing machine and it would order new washing powder or you press a button in your pantry and it would order new chips I have a couple of those yeah, yeah, they're, they're pretty cool. cool. They're pretty Do they cool. work? Um, yeah, they okay. work pretty well. Nice. It's super convenient for the things that oh, you get the, often. Uh, background here, uh, Zach lives in San Francisco where oh, yeah. like every oh, tech product ever yeah. ever works. I didn't know that. Uh, well, there you go. Nice. Uh, so Alexa, so this pro- they came out of the blue. Yeah, so Alexa came out of the blue and everyone was like, well, this is weird. And people started trying it and they were like, this is fantastic. I can actually order things so off it. Because it. honestly, it's just getting I've been better ha- and better. It's been the voice recognition is going to get better and better. And of course, they're integrating all the other services. So you can play music. You can order things so off is Amazon. So is it a hub? You can search. And it's literally just a device you put on your table. And just imagine a big ask for iPhone, mm. except it's 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 just it's just a microphone. But so it's a Wi-Fi connected device. It's Wi-Fi connected computer with a, d- with a much better microphone and a speaker as well. I've only seen people use them as like a demo thing. So when they're speaking to it to do a demo, yeah. and then as speakers at home, as yeah. opposed to having like Sonos or something. It's else. something you put in your house. So yeah. the real question is: Let's just assume you've got all these products that are just primarily voice interacted. Where are these products going to sit? So one of them is obviously on your phone as you go around your daily day. In some situations, there's probably products that sit in your house. There'll probably be ones that sit in your office. And I'm guessing the car is the other natural one. Hmm. Yeah, and then I guess Apple is supposed to do, <coughs> was supposed to do something similar with their recent announcements. Yeah, exactly. They're rumored to come out with an Alexa competitor. D- does that mean that, like, will there be a company that leads the way in this space? Like, there, isn't Microsoft going to have their HoloLens device that will probably have the voice thing in it and, like, you'll walk around your house well, in... And walk into walls. Yeah, well, it's an... All- <laughs> As you walk around your house with your HoloLens on and everything else and you just, you know, <laughs> try to say, oh... Hey Siri, bang! Or hey Cortana, sorry. <laughs> Hololens though is augmented reality, so it's like transparent. I think from memory and and all the so yeah, augmented reality versus VR is a whole other thing. It's but another topic. Essentially, you have clear lenses and things are overlaid yeah. on the, so you don't end up yeah. hopefully walking into walls. What do we think then, Hugh? Do you think what what do we who what side are we on in this? In yeah, this you haven't expressed this? your view. You've been the moderator well, here. What I think you, oh, it's, I know. Isn't it just rare? Um, I, I guess I think that it's something where, as yet, a lot of the voice-controlled applications 
Um, culturally, I don't think we're, we're really ready to accept them. You just, people look like too much like an idiot, you know, walking down the street, talking to themselves, like, you know, they probably need to have some kind of psychiatric review. Um, and, and maybe that'll change over time where the technology improves, but like, you don't see people sitting on the train or anything like that, you know, chatting away to Siri. You see them tapping on their phone and doing it otherwise. Could they make this more like acceptable if it was instead of like, Hey Siri or okay, Google, it'd be like, Hey mate, how you going? Uh, can uh, you organise Barbie for tonight at four o'clock? And then uh, you're actually talking to Siri, but everyone else thinks you're talking to like your mum. That, that'd be weird. That would be <laughs> super weird. That'd be weird. <laughs> I mean, the other thing is 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 of all searches conducted on Android, I believe the stats about twenty percent are voice searches now. And if you think about how big Android is, that's huge. Are they accidental voice searches? Ah, no. What they don't tell you what percentage is accidental, and uh, my birdies tell me it's a fairly large percentage. Oh, but regardless, you know, the fact is it's, it's a feature that is there and it can be used and accessed quite quickly. How useful it is, who knows. Next topic. Government and what it can do. Before you tune out, I know government is a very boring term. Uh, in fact, when I was at the Sydney Morning Herald and I looked through the numbers, like no one clicked on stories really that started with the word government. So please don't tune out. Just needed to get that in there. Um, no, they've really tuned out. So there's two things that are going on in the startup space at the moment. One of them is that the government just a week or two ago, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, but uh, in September, mid uh, you know, mid to late September, they announced the changes to the incubator support program. Now, initially, this program was going to be an $8 million program that provided uh, incubator programs, like the ones that James is running uh, in Mm -hmm. Sydney at the University of Sydney called Incubate, provide them with funding. Now, it was going to initially, before changes were rolled out, fund new startup programs, incubator programs, with more money than what existing startup programs were going to be allowed to get through the program. Uh, it was going to be a matched funding program, so you'd have to put some money in and then the government would give you some money uh, to top top up to 100%. Now, the changes that were announced, first of all, they announced not so long ago that it was going to be, it was going to be instead of $8 million, they were going to put $25 million in, and that was part of the election campaign when Turnbull was trying to look, you know, like he was invested in startups. Now, last week, they announced that they were going to change the eligibility or the criteria in which you could apply for the funding so that... Uh, it was going to be equal, so new and existing startup incubator programs would be able to apply for the same exact money. And separately, there'd be a program where you would be able to pay $25,000 for an entrepreneur in residence to be a part of your incubator support or your incubator program. So that is the incubator support program. Separately to that, uh, in government policy land, there is a R&D tax incentive review that's been going on for the last little while and the government received the independent report this week and that review suggested among a number of other things instead of the criteria being that if you are 100 million turnover or less you would be able to apply for it now it's 200 million so thereby business bigger businesses will be able to apply for the R&D tax incentive which is a very important thing in the startup land I'm almost done a uh, very important <laughs> thing in the startup land because it means basically every year it's like you get another angel round of funding 
because the government puts in like hundreds of thousands of dollars back into your bank account if you are a reasonably sized startup for all of the investment that you've put into R&D. Separately, the government is proposing through a what's called an omnibus bill to cut the R&D tax incentive pool of money by a billion dollars. So two things are going on there. One, independent review suggesting to government that the cap be lifted from 100 million to 200 million and separate to that, a reduction in the amount of money that's available in the pool. I'll stop talking now. Hugh, what do you think of, of these two things? Yeah. James, do you want... It sounds like you want to interrupt first, James. No, I was just going to... Yeah, we can edit this out later, but that was very long. I don't know if you want to cut that down. <laughs> oh, I got there in under three and a half minutes, but, you know. Yeah, okay. Go, Whatever. go. You can look it out. Here, you go. Okay, so I mean, so the first thing is like, there's no doubt in saying that the R and D scheme is a, a significant help to Australian startups, um, and it is a significant help. It essentially means that if you're a, I mean, it's mostly obviously if you're generally something technology oriented, because you can essentially get sort of forty odd cents back on every dollar that you spend on, you know, on development talent. Um, so all of your developers suddenly they're either forty percent cheaper, or you can pay them forty percent more, depending on how you want to look at the situation. And you know that that certainly helps with, with the big challenge of cash flow, and particularly I think in cases in, for example, you know, software as a service applications, where you know they often only become cash flow positive once they've reached a certain kind of size. You know, it, it can be very very helpful. Having said that. You know, is this policy going to help at all Australian startups? No, absolutely not. Um, the change is really going to help, you know, maybe attract some more, you know, some more big companies to the area, but it's something that's targeted at big companies. Um, you know, we have to keep in mind as well that the other part of this that was announced long, long ago, back when the original 8 million, I believe, um, they're still planning on reducing the actual amount that you get back. So I think it's by about one and a half cents. So you currently you get, I think, 45 cents back on each dollar as a very small startup. Uh, and instead, you'll get 43.5 cents. So they're actually kind of going backwards as far as what will help little startups. Um, and really, it's only going to encourage, you know, I guess, maybe big companies to um, place R&D units here. Which I find really amazingly surprising because, you know, it's it, you know, there's all this rhetoric around supporting startups and then all of a sudden the, the only thing we've had consistently in the last, you know, quite a few years is the R&D tax incentive and all of a sudden it's been geared towards big business R&D where we know that the type of big business R&D that happens in Australia does not result in the type of uh, economic benefits that we see from, James, from successful startups. Why are there like 20 burritos? <laughs> because I told you there's lunch for the startups. Wait, so all of these, are, can I eat them? Yeah, of course you want. So did everyone leave? No, it's, well, are they like 20? It came late. It came late. Okay, it came is, this, is this relevant to the conversation? Is this relevant to the conversation? Yeah, I, feel, I was coming over here to get a tissue and oh have like 20 burritos. Yeah, I, I told you that we had lunch delivered late. Right. Well, I'm gonna get. Would you like a burrito? Just you can take. No, no, take I'll it. I'll take ten. Thanks. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have a burrito. Anyway, oh, sorry to interrupt. I was just tiny. I was stunned by how many burritos. No, I think. I think James. So coming back to the back to the point. I think James is James is right in what he's saying, uh, and it's kind of like, you know, out of this whole, uh, you know, national innovation, in, the innovation boom thing, that yellow branded thing that I'm still not quite sure that yellow was the right color. Um, <laughs> to be what fair, I guess the branding worked. I, I'm calling it the yellow branded thing. Um, so, you know, out of all of that, you know, all we've kind of seen is this kind of incubator support program that no one really knows yet what it's going to end up looking like or doing. And, you know, the initial intent was they were going to use this smaller portion to help new uh, incubators or accelerators in, in essentially the capex costs involved in setting up an incubator or accelerator, you know, like buying desks and 
office fit out and all that kind of rubbish that gets started when you start an incubator. It wasn't necessarily all about helping the established ones. The established ones didn't like that very much, you know, and fair enough to them. Spent some time lobbying, um, and now anyone can kind of, you know, get their snout in the uh, in the old government grant trough. Um, and I guess, you know, that that's great and it's good to see something supported and there's a lot of evidence that those kinds of things help build the, you know, broader tech ecosystem and community. But, you know, is that really a, you know, I guess what I'm really, really about is like, how do we make it so that for a, you know, particularly a young founder wanting to start something, how do we make it so for them there's a, as low risk as possible? Because the reason a lot of people feel, you know, they feel uncomfortable and they feel like it's not legitimate as an actual career path, you know, how do we help those individual founders um, when in reality, we have, you know, tax concessions for investors, uh, we have increased uh, money being given to incubators, and we have uh, more R&D money being given to gigantic businesses. Um, and so, I'm really, I guess, waiting to see what we're going to do for the actual founder side of the puzzle, um, because from what I see, there hasn't really been a lot of, you know, kind of activity around that area. Disappointing. It's very disappointing that the R&D review um, is geared towards big business R&D, um, which which just shows how the lobbying is, how, how well they lobbied this. Well, and traditionally, the R&D scheme was targeted at the big business community. It wasn't initially actually targeted at the very small side of things. You know, it was initially which targeted shows, for early-stage pharmaceuticals just, and stuff like that. Yeah, but that just shows to me the, the, the old-school, backward-mentality, Aussie way coming back to fruition here, which is, you know, they let the big boys apparently innovate um, or, or, or invest the money because no one else will. See, I would say that it shows this interesting flexibility that the startup community and the, you know, I guess the early stage entity community um, has kind of co-opted this, you know, uh, this big government grant scheme, um, has co-opted it into being something that assists them with cash flow, you know, when in reality, even just like a, um, you know, a tax payment concession would, would potentially do the job, Um you know, like what, how can we actually do that when in, in reality for a lot of startups, for example, all of a sudden, you know, you hit a certain number of employees and suddenly you've got payroll tax to consider and you have all of these other things um, that the government could instead give you, you know, a, a, give a much easier way of doing it rather than having to do all this paperwork. And then there's often R&D consultants that come, in the play, come into play and, you know, it's sort of built this whole ecosystem around people being able to grab as much money out of the scheme as possible. Just taking a step back, how long does it take from applying to actually receiving money or hearing back that you might? it's a couple it's a couple of months but it's done kind of on a um it's it's kind of self-audited to a fair degree it's almost like doing your tax return isn't it like yeah yeah, it's like doing a tax return except it's a big oz industry like it's a big oz industry form and you have to kind of present your answers just so to show that you know you were testing hypotheses where there wasn't already the answer you know where the answer wasn't already known so you used to be a pet out twice a year and then it reduced to one. Hmm. Everything has been geared towards more established businesses. But you kind of have to have some sort of certainty in place in order to make the most of the scheme. No, not no. necessarily. Not at all. Oh. You can, as long as it classifies as R&D. It's yeah, a very it's attractive scheme. Like a lot of... All startups in Australia can claim it. Assuming, Assuming they have under 200 million or 100 million in revenue. Yeah. Less than, yes. Yeah, yes. less than. Which I guess the question is, you know, when you when you go over that sort of size, are you really still a startup? You know, I mean, does, is is Uber really still a startup? And I don't, I still don't no. know the answer to that. The answer is no. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I'm with you on that one, James. I think in you know on the, on the balance of things, is I go. Uber a startup? No, it's not. <laughs> so our, our collective view here is that, um, well, I want to know from you actually on the incubator. Oh, the no. collective view on the R and D uh, review suggesting lifting the cap is we all are against that generally speaking, because it just supports bigger business. And obviously, we have vested interest because we're interested in the startup community. What yes. about the incubator support program? Sorry, I've got a burrito in my mouth. Um, 
What about the incubator support program, James? Will you be applying for the funding uh, for Incubate? Because it's a match funding arrangement where you have to put in uh, 50% of your own money. It does have to be uh, for an activity, though. Like, it has to be an event or activity. Yeah, project. It's project It's not just kind of so slush fund. Yeah, it's not a slush fund. Um, but 50% you have to put in it, so match funding. Of that, 30% you have to pay up front. Uh, but you can also top up your 50% by getting a state government grant or another type of grant that the federal government offers. What do you think of the program and, and will you be applying for it? I think it's a really good example of a government consultation process that happened. Uh, they got all the right people in the room. Did they consult you? Absolutely. They consulted us a couple of times and they got all the right people in the room. We gave them feedback on the very first version. Um, they modified that based on our feedback, and we've got the version we've got now. I, I think uh, it's really interesting. Uh, the, rea the, re the reality is we, we just don't know how effective the programs will be. Um, but I'm pretty positive and upbeat about it. It's really going to help a lot of the uh, organizations that run these type of startup programs. What do you think about like the, the existing, like the, sorry, the, the first version, version 1.0, when they announced it? It was obviously part of an election policy designed, created by bureaucrats. So. Yeah, sure. What, what did you think? Do you, yeah, obviously, you're happy with what that happened now, but why do you think they came up with this idea where unproven incubator programs would be given more money and existing proven ones would be given less money? Uh, so that was one of the ideas that we debated with them. We were like, you know, why, why, why invest in new things? Why not just double down on, on what's working? And Bingo. Sorry? Bingo. Bingo. Oh, okay. Double down. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, yeah, bingo. Drink. So we, yeah, so, so that was something we, we brought them up on. There was some interesting politics at play, which is how do you encourage new programs in new areas? And that was definitely on the agenda, even though, of course, all the city folk think that we should just focus in city regions because that's where the um, intensity and that's where the uh, volume is. But, of course, uh, from a government perspective, they want to encourage innovation across the entire um, country. And Hugh has some opinions on this, I believe. Sure. Sure. Um, but the, one of the things we, they did take into effect is, is offering more money for existing incubators. Um, and uh, uh, I think some, some other stuff was also taken into consideration mm -hmm. as well, like the, the requirements and the entrepreneur in residence was better defined in the end. Yeah. So they're giving out something like $25,000. Expert in residence, I believe. Yeah. Uh, for an uh, expert or entrepreneur in residence, yes, right, which yeah. who will get paid. Now, you have one of them, which yes. I presume is unpaid. No, it's paid. Paid, okay. So will that help you to – how, how would that help? Do, is it, do they usually require money, entrepreneurs in residence? <laughs> usually uh, entrepreneurs do prefer getting paid for things. <laughs> well, yes, generally, people yes. In general, yes. Generally, like yes. People. yes. Yes, they do. They do obviously want to pay for their time if they're valuable and they're not just a volunteer. Um, I would also argue that if you are utilizing a lot of their time, um, more so than just, say, a casual mentor, then you probably have some sort of duty to pay them something. And uh, that's where it's going to go. So it's going to be very helpful. We are going to apply for both grants, the existing incubator and the entrepreneur in residence um, grant as well. Cool. Well, uh, so in terms of incubator support program, supportive of the changes. I think I'm supportive of the changes. I think most people and, are. Uh, yeah, and I think it's a good thing, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. It will. Our final topic. I will lead the Inquisition. Zach, tell us your life story. Wow. Uh, no. Let's start. Well, tell us well, your whole yeah. life story. Tell us about your birth. What was your experience at birth? <laughs> Give us the three-minute kind of before you went left to go to San Francisco thing, Ooh. and then tell us the San Francisco thing. Three-minute version of it yes. before I left. Yeah. Um, so I guess the start of it is that I've always been interested in technology and building things, and where that really, the story kind of gets more interesting is during high school, when 
I wanted to learn how to make iOS apps. This was around 2007, 2008 when the iPhone was new, everything was very new and exciting. And so I decided that I would figure out how to build an app and I was taking ideas from friends and I was thinking about games and different things. And one of my friends came up to me and talked about how all the taxi booking products were, were really terrible and they were basically worse versions of the the taxi's website to make the bookings. And so I took it upon myself to build an app that would allow you to book taxis in a much better way than the existing taxi booking products out there. So M-Taxi and Silver Cabs and whatever else there were at that time. And so I did that, launched it uh, during one of the holiday periods in high school. And it ended up being... I think you emailed me and a few other people about it. Yeah, it was like one of those early startup days where you just sort of find a list of emails that you think people will write about startups or about new things or about young people in tech. And so I think that's how we met mm. earlier on. Um, and so emailed everyone, tried to get some press around it, launched it, ended up being uh, one of the more popular taxi booking products on the market and continued to work on it from there until... Eventually, I, in around 2012, so it started in 2009, and then in 2012, I sold that to a group called the Catch Group, so Catch of the Days, Coupon, those people. Um, and at that point, I was... Was that your first exit? That was my first exit. That's pretty exciting. First how old were you? I was, how old was I, 19, 18? Wow. Yeah. 19, 18. Back in the day, gee? yeah. Wow. It feels like so long ago. Wow. Um, and so that was kind of the end of my period in Sydney. And so that was my experience over why, here. Why did you leave? Because I heard Uber was coming. I was, <laughs> I was speaking to Uber over here. Mm -hmm. Oh, why did I leave the country? Mm. Oh, because San Francisco is the place to be for startups. And okay. that's where I'd always wanted to go. So you were just attracted to it because of that? Yeah. Okay. And my, my sister had moved over there to go to college. Okay. And so I'd visited a bunch of times and got cool. to see like Stanford and the whole Bay Area, yeah. and it's it was all super exciting. And back to the Sam Altman thing, mm. I remember going there really early on, so around 2010, 2011, back when Looped, which was his company, was still a thing. And I'd emailed everyone in the Bay Area saying, hey, I want to meet you. Everyone. Every, you every single all person. people. All 800,000 people in San Francisco. It's not that many people, to be honest. Saying, I want to meet you because I'm an Australian visiting the US. And you were hustling. Hustling. Yeah. That's what they call it these days. And so... <laughs> Drink. Yeah. yeah. I ran out of beer there. That's oh, okay. And so I ended up having coffee with him at the Looped offices in Mountain View. And it was interesting speaking to him saying... Sam Altman. We place. have the same last name. <laughs> One, saying we have the same last name. And we two, have so much in common. He was asking about, like, why am I not in the U.S.? Like, why are you not in San Francisco? Yes, every, everyone in San Francisco asks, why are you not in San Francisco? Yeah, and usually it's like visas running, or other sure. things. Was he running YC then, or was he No, still? this was pre, this was okay. a loop, cool. was still, so this was in their offices. Cool. Um, it was empty, so I'm not sure if it was a weekend or if that was the end. But, um, yeah, so it was asking questions around why I'm not there or what's, what's stopping me from moving to the U.S., and I had really bad answers for those, and I was around. Um, I don't really know what I said, but it really dawned on me that it made sense that I needed to figure out how to move to the US. And turns out having yeah, a US passport makes it a lot easier to, mm. to end up over there. And so in 2013, I at the very beginning of 2013, I moved over to start a company called LoungeBuddy. And that was gonna be a side project for a while, but as we were researching it and looking into the space, we realized that it was a much bigger opportunity 
then initially dawned on us. And so, uh, so, so to pitch us what yeah. Lounge Buddy is, and then and tell us, okay, just what's, what is Lounge Buddy? What is Lounge? So Lounge Buddy helps you find and access airport lounges around oh, the world. Man, I thought it was lounges on demand. <laughs> Damn it! Yeah, and so uh, when you're traveling and you have a long layover, or you want to be productive at the airport, we help you accomplish that. So if you already have access to the locations, then based on your elite status or memberships or or if you're flying business class or something like that, sure. we'll tell you which lounges you can now, get in. Anyone we pitch that to who doesn't know this market would be like, oh yeah, that sounds cool. That sounds yeah. like a fun side project. So, and that's what you thought it was. That's so why, what we thought it was. Why is it much bigger? Why is it much bigger? Because people don't focus on it, but a lot of the airlines have uh, lounge access as one of their top benefits. A lot of the credit cards have lounge access as their top benefits. Mm. And so it's this weird space that everyone who's in the know takes advantage of it and doesn't really think about it, they just use it. And everyone who's not in the know just doesn't acknowledge it because they're hidden away in the airport. It's not like you see the Qantas club everywhere and say, oh, I wonder how I can get in. It's hidden away, it's upstairs down a hallway in order to get there. And so um, that's what we thought. And then as we started researching it, a lot of the airlines pay each other and cross bill. And so it's about a 10 to $12 billion industry right now. Really? Yeah. Holy it's crazy. Crap. And that's you look, just people just entering. So, it's, it's so that's like, like people entering the Qantas club as a British Airways customer and then British Airways paying Qantas for their entry. It's like Airbnb, but for airlines. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I guess if we're probably don't use that as a pitch. No, no originally we were like Uber, but for lounges. It's, it's kind of this yes. I remember talking to, to interviewing Zach uh, for an article that I was doing for the Sydney Morning Herald. And he was in a lounge <laughs> with his co-founders. And yeah. I was like, how often you, are you in lounges all the time? And, and you were in the early days as part of your testing every day. You were working from, it seemed like you were working from yeah. an airport lounge. So th- they're really great places to be. Co-working co- spaces, apparently. Yeah, it's like a really, um, so I we mean, don't they promote are. that. You walk into a lounge and they got 50% electricity. Yeah, tell 50% of people working. So. Electri- they have great places to work. Yeah. They have unlimited food, drinks normally, great Wi-Fi. And it's meant to be productive or to relax before you flight. And yeah. so the week before we launched, which was like an accident anyway, we ended up in the airport for a week, basically using it as a co-working space, um, staying <laughs> at the hotel sleeping? nearby. Oh, okay. We weren't sure, sleeping yeah, there because sure. airport closed, you have to leave. Okay. Um, and we were very respectful of the space. Okay. Um, and so we, we were there for the week working and figuring out our launch plans and speaking to Ben. And, and, and yeah, what launching. do you mean launch accidentally? Yeah, so we, we'd been in beta for a while. So we had our beta start in June or July or something that year. And we messaged a bunch of travel blogs saying, hey, we're coming out with this product, try it. And if you want some of your customers to try it, we'll figure out a way that the readers of your blog could use our product and test it out. Yeah. And so then they published the links on their blog publicly and we ended up having a couple thousand people as part of our beta program. Nice. And so... Like that was going really well and we weren't sure when we wanted to launch. It could have happened at any time and we decided to coincide that with the iOS 7 launch. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of a last minute on a whim decision of we can do it now or we could have done a couple weeks or we could do it in a couple weeks. But there was a reason for that, right? Because you'd been submitting a couple like different versions to Apple beforehand. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not sure how deep I can go into our relationship with Apple, but we'd when we'd initially submitted our very first version version, which was around the launch or around when we started our beta program, Apple had reached out to us and 
we're talking. They liked what you had. They liked what we had, and I'll leave. And then when you launched, and then when you launched, they featured you. Yeah. So we went through the whole process of um, yeah, getting featured on the App Store as part of iOS seven launch. Cool. And yeah, we're on the front page of the App Store. I guess it's a great way to start. Yeah. (laughs) Fantastic way to start. I guess it's the natural place because most Apple users probably travel a lot as well. Blah blah blah. Yeah. So we have. Um, what about so where, where where are you guys at now? What, what's what's happened? Is it is it still a side project? Is it, uh, no. is, it is it how many employees do you have? Okay, uh, so we so this was all 2013. That's yep. for the premise. It's yep. now 2016. So since then, we're now about 15 people mm-hmm. uh, around the world. Most of most of the people are in San Francisco in our office. There, we've raised four million dollars. Cool. With. Uh, Founders Fund as lead of our Series A. So that's Peter Thiel's investment firm. So lead investors in Airbnb, Facebook, early days, SpaceX, Spotify, a bunch of those. And that doesn't just... Because their their fund is like, you know, big incremental changes. And I don't know, on-demand lounges doesn't really (laughs) seem like a big... So so what are they... How did you pitch to them? What do they see? What's what's the lens they're viewing this in? Is it this hidden $12 billion industry that no one sees? Is that kind of the lens they're looking at it? So the biggest thing that founders find... So each VC... lounges? Yeah. (laughs) Ideally, we would never have to own a location. Okay, that's Uh, good. (laughs) But each VC kind of has their their goals or the way that they look at companies and Founders Fund specifically looks for monopolies Mm. and they saw us as an opportunity or where we could monopolize I guess the in airport space and so that's I'm assuming where they picked us sure but you look at Airbnb and Facebook and those different ones and there's a reason why they pick those and it's usually they want them to dominate the the uh, ride-sharing space yeah. or the transportation yeah, space because sure. they see that opportunity with them. Right. Cool. And so, yeah, they don't want to work with companies that are just going to be one of many. Cool. They want a people that will own. Do you, do you just sort of sit there in your office sometimes and you're just like, how did, what, how did I get here? Why do I have <laughs> all these people right <laughs> working um, on lounges? Because didn't it all start from like you met your co-founders at like CES or something I'm racking my brain at the moment trying to f- remember oh, yeah, everything the but am I right is I there something about CES. you went to CES or something and there was you, so many uh, TVs at CES yeah so you back, were at a party back in my early days I had a Zune blog if anyone remembers that product what? Microsoft Zune, Zune is like the iPod rival the pre Microsoft really, really iPod that wasn't an iPod <laughs> oh I remember that but wait why is it a Zune blog so I was just writing a blog around the Zoom. He was a Zoom oh. blogger. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know there was a thing those. like that. You, it you it was just, not a thing. It you were just into nerdy. these niches, aren't you? Yeah. You are just the niche discoverer. And so when I was, yeah, when I was in CES, or when I was visiting the US, I went to CES. And but did my, Microsoft invite you or something? Yeah, Microsoft's having a party. Somehow I got invited. <laughs> I was like 16 at the time, oh, so amazing. I should not have been at a party that had alcohol in a Vegas suite. It's Vegas, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Well, it was one of those awesome ones that had the water running underneath the floor. Oh, yes. Yeah, I know those ones. Never, oh, all the time. All the time. <laughs> and they had, like, they had Morgan Page playing, and I remember, speaking, <laughs> I remember speaking to Morgan Page's manager, and he was asking me what I thought of the music, and I said it wasn't that great. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had like a number of these instances where I speak to people, and I say things that I shouldn't say around. Like, maybe I don't... Well, well, give me another example. Another so example. I was at WWDC one time. Uh-huh. I was at a hipstamatic party. Uh-huh. So they had a really... What is a dub-dub? What's a WWDC? WWDC, Apple. Apple. Okay. Developer conference yep, every okay. June where they announce the new OS yep. for developers. Yeah, yeah. Also known as WWDC. Yes, yes, yes. And so I was at a hipstamatic party. If everyone, if anyone actually remembers, back when hipstamatic was popular. 
Exactly, mm. exactly. And I remember we were waiting in line to go upstairs because they have an awesome rooftop. And I think Periscope is now in their office, or Meerkat, or one of them. But we're waiting Meerkat in line to go upstairs. Yeah. Oh, I think it's still, I don't know. <laughs> and I was speaking to my friend. I'm like, these offices are awesome. I can't wait until um, Hipstamatic goes out of business and maybe I can move in here or we can move oh, office yeah. here or something like that. And my friend's looking at me, giving me the biggest death stare. I'm, I'm looking at her like, what, why are you looking at me like that? It doesn't make sense. And so it turns out the CEO and founder of Hipstamatic was standing next to me. And uh, yeah. So wow. good times cool. in San Francisco. <laughs> so I should really shut up more. So you met that your co-founder, the story being, oh, you yeah. met your co-founder when you were 16. Yeah, they were at the Microsoft party as well. And that and was the first encounter? That was the first time we'd met. And then every time I would go to... See, yeah, so I went a couple of years in a row. We would catch up and go to different parties together. And then eventually, after I'd sold Taxi Pro, I was visiting the US, staying on his couch, and we were talking about travel in the future and wanted to do something together. And so Lounge Buddy was a side project where we were going to figure out how we would work as a team and how well we would work as co-founders yeah. on another thing that we wanted to work on. Yeah. But uh, Lounge Buddy ended up spiraling into something much bigger than we initially thought. And so, yeah, you exited at 19 a product, yeah. and your co-founder has exited a business as well. Uh, Ties? Tyler, um, no, but he's worked at a number of successful startups and had a successful business yeah. prior. And uh, he did consulting as well. Consulting, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so you've you've come a long way, and now, so you're, what, three or four, how many years into this startup? Three and a half years. Three years public, so we launched three years ago. And yeah. to give us an idea of traction, so partnerships that you've done with... Um... Yeah, so like one of the hardest things for us is is the partnership side because we're working with billion-dollar companies. Everyone we work with is an airline or a massive uh, group. And so we now sell access to over 150 locations worldwide, and that includes like Lufthansa and Turkish airline lounges, Alaska Airlines, and... like. For the Australian audience, we sell access to the SkyTeam Lounge in Sydney International and Brisbane International Airports. And the app is free and the business model is clipping the ticket. Yeah, paper access. So if you want to access an airport lounge on your journeys or layover, you pay us for entry, you get access, and we take a cut of that. And it's always either the same price as if the location is selling it themselves or cheaper. So we're always the best option to go for. And what... What's the biggest thing that you've learned being a... You, I, I'm going to call you a serial, serial entrepreneur because this is what... Serial. you've done other things as well. I remember talking maybe... Is that a I can't as well? Serial entrepreneur? It sounds like a breakfast. Yeah, it sounds like a breakfast. I remember you had that Zoom blog, but you also did other things. Like, you were, you've always been an entrepreneur, right? Like, what yeah. can you tell the, the audience publicly? I, I know some of the things, but what can you say that you used to do that to try and become an entrepreneur. You're making it sound like he was a drug dealer for the record. Uh, <laughs> well, he's a drug dealer. No, uh, everything for me kind of feels like a bit of an accident, but usually it's take advantage of the opportunities that you have, even if they don't seem the most interesting. So I remember uh, back in the day when the iPhone originally came out, when I started getting interested in it, uh, you couldn't purchase iPhones over here and you had to figure out the unlock situation. And so I wanted to get my phone unlocked. And so I figured, found a place in China that was selling the, the unlock chips for your SIM card and ended up buying a bunch of those and selling them online. And it's, I don't know, it's all these little things that if you just try it 
and give it a go. Maybe it'll work out, maybe it'll become big. And some of those things work out and sometimes they don't. And yeah, at the end of the day, if you don't try it, if you don't give it your best shot, then you, you have zero chance of success. It's like a sport analogy. Every shot that you don't take. I mean, sport is really is, sport is a really close analogy. Yeah, um, I so, think it's pretty cool. So I have a question though, um, and, and this is kind of I think a question that, and you're clearly someone who has a lot of ideas and concepts, and you know always is uh, is thinking of new things. So how have you kind of I guess adjusted to life then? Um, having or at least mostly, you know, like one thing going on. You know, if you previously had, you know, you were hustling on four or five different projects all at once, and you know, now you're obviously, presumably, your focus is on Lounge Buddy. Yeah, um, startup ADD. How do you feel like you know you've adjusted to that, or do you think you still haven't adjusted to that? So I think for me, my path has changed. And when I was younger, so I'm still young, but when I was younger, it was more everything you're was very young for the record. Every- <laughs> Everything was short-term and quick, and it's like, um, it's sort of the picture of Snapchat only lasts for three years, and you're going to build a company, sell it, and it's only going to last that very short period of time. And so that was my frame of thinking earlier on. And now that I've been part of LoungeBuddy for three years and we started to grow, the challenges change and your goals change as a, as a company and as an entrepreneur or founder. And so for me, I have certain big goals that I want for the company. And there are a lot of other things that I think about, but I think there are more people, there are other people who are better suited to, to take on those ideas and take them to fruition because I do have a focus and I do have a company that I'm trying to build and trying to get to a certain point. And so, yeah, like there are always ideas and I'm happy to share them and I'm happy for other people to accomplish them because at the end of the day, it's usually things that I want myself. And if someone else can build those and I don't have to worry about it, generally that's a more straightforward solution for me because <laughs> uh, then then I just get it without having to, to go through all the hard work of building a company and, and figuring out that path. Or you, be- you could become a patent troll and lodge all of your ideas and then make <laughs> all this no. money out of them. Please no. <laughs> Uh, the scrounge of the of the world. Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, I've got patent <laughs> trolls. I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, thank you, James, for being here. Thanks, sir. And letting us use the space as well. Thank you. No, my pleasure. The nuclear bunker. Uh, and Zach, thank you for flying here. Just uh, for this. <laughs> All the way to Sydney. You're heading back uh, on Sunday. On Sunday. Yeah. And I'm sure you'll be back soon. Uh, and Hugh, thank you for joining us from Melbourne. And by the way, we were drinking beer. Hugh I'm, inter- Hugh, I'm interested in knowing, did you end up Doing the traditional tea, the Melbourne tea. There, there was actually a tea, so there you go. I'm, I'm still following on with this tea thing, but that's mostly because I have no one to drink with here. So you know. <laughs> oh, there's your cat. Well, I know, but the cat can't have a beer with me. So you'll drink it with us in spirit. Yeah. I know. Well, I, I will. I will later on this evening raise a drink in in toast to your uh, your joining us on the podcast, Zach. So thank you for joining us. And to, thank you. And to all our listeners, please subscribe to our iTunes or oh, yeah, we're on, iTunes on our now. website. We are on. Yeah, the we iTunes. have a website now. Yay, website. And you'll be able to subscribe and get emails when we do new posts. Yeah. Yay. Oh god, we should plug, we should plug this shit. So it's 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 uh, <laughs> our it's, own thing. We should talk about it. I, I came up with this domain name because I thought it was quite catchy. Um, but oh obviously po- the, the podcast is. T- we are editing this out. The, the, no, we're we not. Need to, we need to growth hack the website, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast is called Tech T, and I thought like. I've just come up with a number of ideas. I'm oh so creative. Uh, so then I came up with techt.me. Uh, I know it's not amazing. And it, I, I don't I like think there's it. any domain name that ends in EA. 
Okay, so, all right. We don't need a whole explanation. Anyway, of let's take tea. Dot me. If the podcast fails, we can always pivot it into some sort of like skinny tea company. <laughs> I think so. I think we should <laughs> call tech it entrepreneurs. Real entrepreneurs. drink. And I, I, we only just set up the domain tea. name. <laughs> we just set up the domain name, so I don't even know if there's like a catch-all email address. But I'm just going to say, email us feedback at tech tea. Oh, I, haven't, I haven't done an email yet. Well, can you can do, do that email. now before the podcast? <laughs> oh no! Yeah, oh, no, all the, all the, the thousands of people. I know, I know. Hold your emails, thousands of listeners. Hold your emails. <laughs> so feedback at techt.me. Uh, or alternatively, you can catch me on Twitter, Ben Grubb, B-E-N-G-R-U-B-B, or James Alexander, James A-S-Y-D, or Zach. Zach, what's your email? No, I'm my email. Email. Hello. What's your phone number? My Twitter is Zaka, so Z-A-C-A. Z-A-C-A, which is a very rare name to... That seems boring. It sounds like Samo. It's a bit... Are you sure that you aren't related? Uh, and Hugh, uh, what's your Twitter? My Twitter is just, it's just my name. It's very easy. All you need to do is learn to st- spell Stevens with a P-H, which is the correct spelling. S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S. Stephon. All right. Thanks, Hugh. See you all. Thanks, Ben. See you guys next time.